Owning a significant amount of student loans, whether federal or private, with high interest rates can put a big strain on your financial life. To make things better, you could explore the cost savings if you refinance your student loans, but not every circumstance is fit for a refinance. So it's really important to know what you're getting yourself into. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Really excited to have you here. If you're new to the show, make sure you subscribe and come back. We're on multiple times a week talking and nerding out all about finances, personal finance to help physicians take control over their money. Now, over the last couple months, you might have heard a lot about student debt, but you might not have the full picture on everything you need to know just yet. That's why I brought in award-winning attorney Leslie Tain of Tain Law to talk about the pros and the cons of refinancing your student debt. If you've wondered if you should put a pause on refinancing now because of the pandemic or just figuring out if you should refinance because of credit, stick around to see what Leslie has to say. But before we jump in, there's a little trend I'm seeing in our Facebook community with physician mortgages. And if you haven't joined our group, please do so financialresidency.com slash community. Now your physician friends and families are more than likely refinancing their houses right now. The time is pretty spot on. So what's missing? It's probably that mortgage expert that is there to support you. And I know the perfect guy. It's Mike Fitzmaier of SunTrust, now Truist. He's sponsoring our show and he's got 27 years of experience in building relationships in the mortgage business. And he prides himself on solving problems for his customers The home buying experience should be the happiest time, but we know that it's probably one of the most anxious times. But no matter where you're at in the process of buying your new home, you can count on Mike to navigate the unexpected twists and turns. Mike's a seasoned mortgage lender, and you're going to have him in your corner. He's a great guy. Contact him directly by going to financialresidency.com slash truist, T-R-U-I-S-T. Now let's hear what Leslie's got for you on student debt. Leslie, welcome on the show. Really excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be super fun because we're going to nerd out on some student debt topics, which of course everyone knows that I love, but many don't know you yet, but they will end up loving you and all of the amazing information that you're going to drop some cool knowledge bombs for us. So I want to go high level first and talk about the difference between refinancing a loan and consolidating a loan, because I get this question a lot. People, listeners send it in, even clients of ours ask this. So give us a quick high level there, and then we'll kind of really dig into the details of refinancing and what we should and shouldn't do. Sure. So there is a really big difference between student loan refinancing and consolidation. Consolidation is where you take, it's the same general concept of the definition of consolidation. You're taking a number of things and you're making it into one. So that's how you can think of it a little more easily. Consolidation of your student loans is combining multiple loans into a single one, making it easier for you as the borrower to keep track of the payments and the interest rates. So it's a process where you would take out basically a new loan and pay off all of the existing loans that you have. So instead of having multiple loans, you have only one. With student loan refinancing, the result is a brand new loan. You may have the opportunity to negotiate and look for a lower interest rate. 
create a single monthly payment and pay off a single student loan debt and now have a new debt with a loan servicer. So there is a big difference. The refinance changes the terms. The consolidation will take multiple accounts and place it into one. Yeah, it's really good. So the when you're looking at federal debt and you're consolidating everything, it's it's actually taking the weighted average of all the loans combined and, and giving you basically that new rate, but it wasn't a market rate. So that that's one thing that I know is a misconception is oh I consolidated my loans. Why didn't my rate drop to three percent or whatever the market is bearing? And it's because that's not how it works. You would actually need to refinance the loan in order to do that. So if we were to give kind of a pro and con list on refinancing federal, I think we should start refinancing federal debt and then we can move over into the private debt. So what are some pros and cons of refinancing federal student loans? So on the federal loan level, refinancing can result in a lower interest rate or a longer term for those seeking a lower monthly payment. But that has to be completed really through a private lender because refinancing through the federal government is not an option. On the private loans, the same pros would apply. Refinancing can be a great option for those who qualify for a lower rate and better terms that may suit your needs. And you may even be able to apply with a cosigner if you don't have the best credit. You'll get the best rates on a refi if you have a great credit score. There are typically aren't upfront costs to refinancing, and that can help you save some money too. So if you're not happy with your servicer, refinancing can help you switch, but that really shouldn't be the driving reason why you refinance. The goal in refinancing obviously would be a lower rate and more favorable terms. Yeah. And if you're going for something like public service loan forgiveness, obviously you don't want to refinance out because once you do that, you're completely out of the federal program, which then takes you out of the public service loan forgiveness or any other potential income driven repayment options. Now, what are some of the big cons of refinancing federal debt? So on the federal loan level, refinancing a federal loan will actually convert the loan into a private student loan, meaning the borrower, like you said, would lose any benefits associated with the federal loans. So those benefits include the income-driven and forgiveness program, certain deferments, 0% interest options that is currently available under the COVID-19 and the CARES Act, and the public student loan forgiveness program. On private loans, by refinancing, you could lose access to certain benefits like payment postponements if you're still in school or re-enroll in school. You also might forego any private student loan relief options your lender is currently offering due to coronavirus pandemic if you're doing it during this time frame. Borrowers typically would need really, like I said earlier, excellent credit to refinance. So you might not get the terms that you had hoped for or get turned away when you might require a cosigner for refinance. So you want to be aware of your credit and your ability to borrow. This applies as a downside of federal loans as well, because refinancing switches the loan into a private lender. So again, if you don't have great credit, you might not be able to get the best rates and you'll end up not only losing those programs, but getting rates that are much higher. For both federal and private loans, I want to point out that there's another issue with refinancing, which is extending the loan term. Doing so may provide some relief to those struggling with monthly payments, but it's easy to forget that borrowers pay more interest by extending the loan term, which could defeat the purpose in refinancing. So if you refinance and you're looking for a longer loan term, you're likely going to pay more in interest, so you're going to end up paying more for the total loan. And the amount of interest you're going to pay is going to be quite substantial because all of you listening have several hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. 
And your incomes are going to be obviously going up as you're an attending, or if you already are an attending, you're going to have a pretty decent income and you need a, basically a debt repayment plan. And just to be real with how much debt you have and to be looking at, you know, essentially when you are allocating money that you're saving every month, which hopefully you are, you need to understand where it is, where that money's flowing. And when you are to potentially extend the term of your loan, that it could end up costing you tens of thousands of dollars over the long run. That would probably be a lot more fun doing a vacation or anything else other than paying a bank, right? Right. And I would add to that, that that may be true that you're going to pay a larger amount of money if you extend the term. However, keep in mind that the idea is that your career will improve and you will start to earn much more money as time goes on. And your goal should be to try to pay it off sooner. So if you feel that, let's say you're in residency or you're in a program now that's not paying you as much as it will when you complete that program and you're willing to take a longer term now, if you allocate funds and you budget carefully, you will be able to pay off that loan sooner. So sometimes taking the longer road may seem long in the beginning, but the reality is as your career progresses and you start to earn money, you can add more money to pay off your loan sooner and then not pay as much in the end. Yeah, it's almost a way of hedging, right? So if we were to say, and I'm just throwing out numbers, I actually don't know if these numbers are even remotely close right now with how quick rates are moving any direction. But let's say you refinanced out to a 10-year note and it was at 4.5% and your monthly payment was, I don't know, 1000 bucks. But if you were to take out a 15-year note, maybe your rate was a half a percent higher, but that caused you to pay maybe only $700 a month. Well, that difference is almost looked at as insurance, if you will, on your future earnings. And essentially, you're paying a little bit more every month in interest to have the flexibility to pay over an extra five years. Right. So let's talk about that in terms of a mortgage. Maybe that's a little bit easier to understand. So Mm -hmm. if you look at a mortgage, the typical mortgage term is 30 years. The typical student loan term is between 20 and 30 years. So if you were refinancing on a 30-year mortgage, you're going to get one rate. If you refinance on a 20-year or a 15-year or a five-year, you're going to have different rates. Typically, if you're going to pay it off sooner, the rates are going to be lower. So you are going to pay higher for a longer term. But I wouldn't be stuck on that at this point. I would be thinking myself have as much flexibility as possible. Give me the longest term with the lowest possible payment. And when I have more money, I will just pay it off. And then you don't have to worry about how much interest you're paying. Obviously, with that, there's what's called an amortization schedule, which is the schedule of payments towards principal and interest. And as time goes on, it balances and then it it favors more paying principal over interest. The more you pay towards principal, the less interest you're going to pay and the more time you will take off from paying your loans. So don't be stuck on that. If you have great credit, now's the time to refinance. If you don't have great credit and you want to leave it as it is, leave it as it is. And at in time, as your career progresses, pay more toward it. Even one single extra payment a year towards principal could take almost 10 years off your loan. Yeah. So there's some good points there. One of the questions I had for you, and I'm curious to know where your take is, is why would anyone want to refinance now with essentially a pausing, if you will, on the federal student debt until September 30th? It might seem out of place that we're talking about this, but I want people to, to really walk away with some action items if they were going to approach their student debt in all honesty and say, hey, look, we've got until September where we have $0 payments. Why would I go refinance now? Should I maybe wait until September to see what happens? 
if they know that they're obviously not going for public service loan forgiveness. So let's make sure we got that caveat out there. Like, why why would anyone want to refinance even if rates are low? So that only applies to federally held student loans, not federally backed and not private student loans. So the likelihood is that you probably have a combination of different loans. So you'll want to know what type of loan that you have. And again, that's a federally held loan. And that assistance was given under the CARES Act. And yes, under those circumstances, one, if you had that loan, you might not want to refinance because, again, refinance takes it out of a federal loan and turns it into a private loan. And under the circumstances, if you have the money to pay, you should be paying because right now you'd be paying strictly towards principal since there's no interest being accumulating during this time until September 30th. So with that said, if you have the money and you have this federal loan and the interest has stopped, you can still make payments. By doing so, you'll reduce the principal considerably and therefore you'll pay less interest when the interest kicks back in. But again, I want to be super clear that under the CARES Act, that that really only applies to federally held student loans. If you are unsure what you have, you can call your servicer and ask them. Some servicers, even though they're not federally held, are offering similar help, but you really want to find out about that. If you need the help, ask for it. Yeah, that's a great point. And so it's kind of where I was going with it was you've got basically your direct loans. There's a whole bunch of different types of loans out there, which is great, and tons of repayment plans. But if you've got actual federal loans, your interest rate's going to show zero and you actually get a huge benefit right now of not having to pay and you can allocate that money maybe to high interest credit card debt or a high interest auto loan or whatever you might have. Say you came out of training and still had those things. If you have an interest rate right now, you might have a FELL loan that's older and it's a commercially held loan. It wasn't one of the 10 or 15% or whatever that number was that was bought by the government in 2008. And on those loans, you might actually want to turn around and refinance. Or if you've got loans that you've already refinanced previously, say you refinanced late last year when rates were decent, and you might actually qualify for a better rate today, you could go and refinance those loans again. It could be a huge benefit. And some of these loan refinance companies are offering, you know, the sign-up bonuses. Credible gives $750 to any financial residency listener if you go through Credible and mention us. So it's one of those that if you already have private debt, you might be able to get a lower rate. But if you are the ones that are truly have federal debt that are at 0%, it might be better to hold off. But again, personal finance is personal and actually know everything of where you're at. I will state though, just to make it clear, so no one's potentially confused. If you are going for public service loan forgiveness, this does not apply to you whatsoever. Enjoy the $0 payments. It counts towards your public service loan forgiveness, which is fantastic. I want to make sure I give that disclaimer though. But I'm curious, what do you kind of see in our current loan situation? Like, do you see this extending past September? I know this is kind of our wild ass guess, if you will, but you've been doing this long enough. You know a ton about these markets and loans and everything. I'm just curious, like, what is your take or the current pulse on what our student loan situation looks like? So I'm going to start that off by saying we're in an election year. And given the fact that this ends September 30th, super close to election time, you might find that 
there's an opportunity for an extension for the purposes of not only helping people, but also because it's an election year and it's a very favorable policy to do something about student loans. Again, that that really only applies to federally held student loans. So it's a small percentage of your loans and a small percentage of the population that it actually applies to. With that said, it depends on also how long the pandemic and the COVID-19 issue extends. Some states have more problems than others, and they have to take the country as a whole. So not everybody is having the same experience with this pandemic. And with that said, there is pressure, obviously, to do something about the student loan issues. But I can tell you that in my experience and understanding the student loans and how they're packaged and they're, again, I can liken it a little bit to the mortgage industry. So years ago, when the mortgage industry in 2008 had some trouble, there was what was called a bailout. And the bailout was designed to help the banks so that they didn't fall apart, so to speak. So with the student loan issue, there are a lot of banks that hold student loans. Obviously, it's into the billions of dollars. So it's a tremendous amount of money. You can't come in realistically and then wipe out student loan debt across the board because that is a source of income for the banks and a source of cash flow. So if you took it away, then the banks would lobby and would be quite upset about that. So I'm saying this super carefully because I don't want to make it a political statement. I want it to be understood that there's a reality to the student loan issue. And the reality is that it's a banking industry and it has to do with lending and borrowing and banking and making money. And yes, the federal government has some leeway and hopefully they'll extend this because I do think it's a great opportunity to pay down your loans if you still have the ability to do so. And I do understand that there's a lot of challenges right now for those who are experiencing fallout from the pandemic, loss of income and otherwise. And if that continues, then they'll have to do something. But keep in mind, there's the private sector of the student loans, too. And with the private sector holds a tremendous amount of these debts. So when people ask me this question all the time, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think that they'll eliminate student loans? And should I wait until Congress comes along and wipes out my student loan debt? So I would say I wouldn't wait for that. I wouldn't rely on that. I would continue to make my payments. I would continue to find ways to manage my student loan debt with the hopes that there may be some opportunity for forgiveness in the future that you could take advantage of. But I wouldn't live and die and make my decisions based on what might happen in a political year. Yeah, I think that was really well said. And it's okay with the potential political backlash or indoors, whatever it is. It's not a, not a huge deal. We've said it before on the show already. Like I think in an election year, anything is fair game. And it would seem kind of odd if all of a sudden you're going to kick up a whole bunch of payments on student debt and expect votes the next month. So that's true. But keep in mind also that the interest rates are super low right now. So while you have student loan debt, you still made an investment into your future and your career and you did get something from it. You got your career. I took out student loans when I went to law school. Also, I had a tremendous amount of student loan debt from law school. Some of it I couldn't pay and went into default and I had to deal with that. And some of it I did pay. And in the end, I ended up paying more than double what I borrowed. But I got my career. I love my career. I'm super happy and thrilled. And it cost me a little bit of money and it was an investment and it really damaged my credit for a number of years when I first graduated from law school. It made things really challenging for me, especially with the amount of money that they were demanding that I pay. So I've been there and done that and I understand. But 
as my career progressed, I gained an opportunity to pay it off. I paid it off sooner. And that was the end of it. And I'm really thankful for my career. So that's how I look at it. Yeah. And I look at it all the time as physician, you've taken out a crazy amount of debt, but you're essentially buying a business. The business just happens to be in your head. And that's one of the reasons why I'm such a huge proponent of disability insurance and, and term insurance to make sure that you're protecting that income that you've invested so much time, effort, blood, sweat, and tears to go get. I think that if anyone was worried about public service loan forgiveness and if that will actually come true or if you're going to be grandfathered in or any of that stuff, you don't have anything to worry about now. It should be pretty uh, well footed in that this is not that program is not going anywhere if they're able to essentially put six months at minimum right now. I think that we will see an extension past that. We're just, hey, by the way, no one's got to pay anything for six months. Enjoy the the free six months of accounting towards PSLF. It would have been a little dirty if they would have said that that didn't count and then that you had to make some payments. But if, by the way, if you're listening, and I've said this several times on previous episodes, but if you've made a payment after March 13th, you're going for public service loan forgiveness, you technically can be entitled to a refund. You don't want to make any extra payments. You want to maximize the amount that is forgiven. And so I would definitely call Fed Loan Servicing and look at that But if you are looking to pay down your loans faster and you are making extra payments, which is totally fine, that's something completely different. But I want to make sure we touched on that. I do want to point out one thing on the tail end of that with the public student loan forgiveness program. I'm going to suggest that you continue to make your payments until you receive the letter that says that those loans have been forgiven. So even if you're counting the time, continue to make the payments until you've received the letter that even if you've made an overpayment, you don't want to be caught short on the dates. And I have spoken to a number of people who've been able to get their loans forgiven through the public student loan forgiveness program, even though it's a small percentage of people. And one of the things that was recommended by this individual who had colleagues who went through this was don't stop making the payments after you've calculated. If you've calculated the timeline, your timeline and their timeline can be off. So continue making the payment until you've received something in writing that states that the loans are forgiven. Yeah, let's just put it out there. FedLoan is a pretty terrible servicer and their records and your records are going to differ. We've only had one client out of literally hundreds of physicians that we worked with that had everything in order. And that's because this physician, I'd say almost borderline OCD, was every time making sure that everything was correct. He was doing the right stuff, right? But it's a pain in the butt to have to go do that. So make sure that you're filling out the the right forms, that you're looking at the dates that they're actually certifying, that you're actually checking it. Save all that information, save all that communication with them, because it's really important. When you run your NSLDS file and we pull out the data and look at it, it's almost always incorrect. The dates are almost always wrong. And I, I think I've told this story on air, but we had a client that did a three-year residency program and then a one-year fellowship. But for residency, they only counted like four payments. But in that one-year fellowship, they counted like 40 payments. And it was like, that's not physically possible to have 40 payments in a one-year period of time that we know that when it came time to get that forgiven, there would be backlash. There would be, hey, this isn't look correct. And they're going to make it just miserable and painful. And when everyone's trying to get forgiveness at the end, that's not when you want to be putting together your records and trying to figure this all out. So make sure that you're doing this on time, all the time that you are on top of it. Cause you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. This isn't like, Hey, I'm going to go and spend a little less at Amazon this month. This is a lot of money. 
It is. And I would recommend that you be OCD, that you have a notebook, that every time you talk to somebody, you write it down, you check on it every single year to make sure your records match their records. I know you're busy. I know you work long hours. I, I get it. I have a brother who's a physician. So I completely understand where you're coming from. And I have a daughter who wants to be a physician. So with that said, I, I understand how busy you are. And sometimes you don't see the light of day, but you have to find some time when you have downtime, put it in a calendar, make a date of it, do it um, October 31st, which is Halloween every year where you could try to remember when it's scary to look at these things and just look it up and make sure that everything matches because you definitely don't want to be at the end of the program trying to figure out what you did five years ago, pulling bank records, pulling statements, keep copies of all of your checks and stay organized. I really like that. Halloween, it's scary. Let's go look at student debt. Mm -hmm. That's funny. One last thing before we kind of round out our, our talk here was thoughts for those that should refinance that maybe have less than stellar credit, let's call it. And they're not getting great rates, obviously, because of the credit. Like, I know this is kind of now your realm where we're getting into playing some of this. So what can they do to either maybe make their credit better or to get better refinance rates? Like, what do those individuals do with regard to the student debt? So refinancing is great when you have great credit or you have a co-signer who's willing to sign for you. But the likelihood is just coming out of school and you probably don't have the best credit. So, and that's okay. And that's normal. And I don't want you to feel that there's something wrong with that because it's okay. But what you could do is a number of things to help yourself. One, you would want to try to work on building a better score so you can qualify to refinance in the future. Like I said, you can find a co-signer with good credit, but if you do that, you want to look at the loans that would allow you to have a co-signer release at some point in the future. That'll make the co-signer feel better. It'll make you feel better. At some point, after a certain amount of time of making payments, you can get the co-signer release, and that's with consistent payments and good standing with the lender. Consider looking at comparison sites and what they need for approval. Not every lender has the same requirements. So there is a list that you can go on and you can look up to see what kind of lender requirements there are and create a goal for yourself. Pull your credit, understand your score, understand what's bringing your credit score down or keeping it low and work to improve that. So make sure you make all your payments on time to anything else that you are paying. That includes rent, that includes car payments and otherwise. If you're first getting a car now, ask somebody if your parents were giving you a car or a relative was helping you get the car, ask to be a co-signer on that so that it can be reported on your credit report that you've been making consistent payments. That will help you to build your credit. Don't take out tons of credit cards and build up credit card debt because that will bring down your score and make it more challenging when you want to try to refinance these loans. So look for different ways that you can improve not only your score, but your overall credit during this time. Rates are low, and I anticipate that rates will stay low. I don't think much is going to change, to be honest, and you can change your credit score relatively quickly. What I don't necessarily recommend is that there is a quick fix. There is no quick fix to your credit repair. It just, there isn't, unless there is some sort of misreporting on your credit report. And in such case, you can write to the credit bureaus and you can dispute 
what's on the credit report if it's inaccurate. You are entitled to a credit report every year for free, and you can get one at annualcreditreport.com. Credit Karma, there's a number of places that allow you to get it for free. And you should take a look at that once a year to make sure not only that everything looks the way it's supposed to, that you have the creditors on there that you're aware of, there's no fraudulent activity, that you're making payments and everything is being reported as such. And this way, if there's a problem, you can catch it early enough and write to the bureaus to dispute it so it doesn't impact your score. Like I said, I believe that the interest rates are going to stay relatively low for a while. Work on building your credit up now. Reduce the amount of debt that you have outside of your student loans. And therefore, and look to try to be a co-signer on other types of debts to help build up your credit. And that should help you get the best possible rates in refinancing later on. Yeah, I mean, excellent advice. We use Credit Karma, Taylor and I. I love it. It updates like I think every Friday or Saturday, get to see the scores. And I've told said on the show, like, don't worry so much about the score, the number itself. Make sure that you understand everything that's like hitting your credit report. Make sure that you recognize all the accounts. Make sure you're making your payments on time. That's a huge one. I did mess around with this because I am a nerd and I like trying different things. So I logged into Experian, signed up. This is a while back. I signed in and did their Experian boost. That allows you to add your phone and utility bills, which literally boosts your score. It might move down to like four or five points. It wasn't much, but I can imagine that if you pay your phone bills and utilities and everything on time and you get to add that in, that's going to actually maybe boost your score up a little bit. So maybe not a ton, but hey, I think any little bit helps uh, before you do that. So that's great when you have nothing on your credit report to help you. So if you are just getting out of college or you're a college student or a medical student or you're in your residency, that's a good way to do that if there's nothing else being reported on your credit report. Your score going up or down 4, 5, 10, 20 points, it can do that naturally. So I wouldn't be stuck on raising or lowering your score 4 points, 10 points, 20 points. You're looking for big numbers. You're looking for your score to be over a 740. That's excellent credit. 700 to 740 is good credit. Anything under 700, there's room for improvement. So you're right. Don't get hung up necessarily on the score, but why the score is what it is. What's impacting the score and what can you do to improve the score enough that takes you to a different level? Yeah. And we'll just kind of high level really quick on Credit Karma, which is what I like. I use that and it's nice. does push notifications and easy stuff, but they give you some overview of what's affecting your credit. And if you don't understand anything about your credit report or you've really never looked at it or ran it, you just saw a number and you called it a day, I would encourage you just to go sign up for the free account, dig through it, and just like see how things are interacting together and, and monitor it a little bit. If you have credit you need to work on, obviously it's a, a different ballgame, but I think everyone should understand the basics of what hits your credit report, why it moves, why it does the different things that it, it does. Leslie, thank you so much for being on. How can everyone find out more about you, what you're doing? And I know you got a book, you got all sorts of great stuff happening. Sure. You can visit our website at www.tainlaw.com, T-A-Y-N-E-L-A-W. We have a great monthly newsletter with lots of great financial information, and you can sign up for that on our website. I am all over Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and otherwise, and Instagram at Tain Law Group. And you can certainly give us a call. So if there's any questions, thoughts, or concerns, I did write a book called Life and Debt. I was told today that it actually sold out on Amazon. So if you go on to buy it and it's not available, let me know. We can get it for you. But it's called Life and Debt, A Fresh Approach to Achieving Financial Wellness. 
And I look forward to connecting with you. Yeah. And we'll make sure that as the show goes live, we'll tag you everywhere. And that way, if you guys have any questions or need to follow up with Leslie, I mean, fantastic interview. And I I really appreciate you being on and sharing some of your expertise with us. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm so happy to be here today. And before we round out our show, it's so fun talking nerd out and student debt, but let's switch it over to our quick community update. I've noticed some of you are asking questions about whether buying a home right now is a good thing, if the timing's right. You know, if my crystal ball was working, unfortunately it's in the shop, I'd be able to give you all those answers. But a lot of physicians are still moving. A lot of homes are still being bought and sold, even though it's a lot harder to do so. But remember that we've got a recommended list of lenders on our website. We have one inside the group as well. You can go to financialresidency.com slash resources and check that out. We have brought on a community manager, Peggy Carter, to help you answer some of the questions and navigate some of the ins and outs of who we vetted and just be able to find some information a little better. And she's going to help manage the community inside of Facebook. So go to financialresidency.com slash community, join us, come hang out, ask your questions, get your answers. We're here to help you out. Now, before we leave, we've got that ever important disclaimer. Wait, wait, wait. You don't want to hear my disclaimer? Come on. Come on. You know, it's a good one. I know it's not very fun to listen to, but you know, you need to hear this in order to do what you want with the information, right? Because the reality is I got to tell you about the reasons why you shouldn't take what you learned here for face value. I mean, it's great to give you guys perspective on personal finance matters, but I can't give you any specific information without all of your data in front of me. And even if it is in front of me, like our financial health assessments on Friday, I still only know what you record or put down, not even all the details. So instead of running with what you learn here, be sure to either reach out to us at physicianwealthservices.com or fee-only financial planners. We work nationwide with physicians or consult someone who you know personally that can help you with your exact financial situation. All right, everyone, have a great week. So nice to have you here. Hope you learned a lot and I will catch you guys on Friday. Cheers. 